1: What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 216 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Monday evening, and I am joined by one person that can only be described as a friend of the podcast, a former co-host of the podcast, Carlos Calazzo is here. Hello, sir.
0: What's up, man? Thanks for having me. It's a blast to be back, and it's crazy just hearing the number of podcasts at the uh, the intro. I mean, that's it's a lot of podcasts.
1: It is a lot of podcasts, and you have alarms going off. That's good. Yeah, I Uh, I had an alarm
0: for when we started the pod. So, you know. There you go. I'm I'm glad we (laughs) uh, were able
1: to make it. Uh, No, thank you for doing this. And I think people probably know as they click on this that it's going to be, you know, we'll we'll talk some draft stuff. That's, That's your full time job right now. You know things that I don't know about the draft but uh I'll ask you this we've been talking about obviously as you might imagine between Scott and Eric and I and whoever else on the podcast like what's life been like these days Mm -hmm. I know you're very busy at the moment because the draft (laughs) is actually going to happen but um did you have a period uh, during the hiatus where you weren't as busy before we knew there was going to be a draft and all that stuff
0: not really actually I think the the Two weeks after kind of everything started happening, I think it was like the weekend of March 13th, which would have been the first weekend of uh, SEC play in baseball. Um, that's that's kind of when everything started getting canceled, uh, and we started realizing that this was going to be a pretty big deal. And those first two weeks, we were actually more busy than the preceding uh, <laughs> three or four weeks, just because there was a lot of like reporting about like what was going to happen that everyone was trying to do. We were scrambling to put together. Uh, a new issue of the magazine, obviously, with everything changing. So we actually had a ton going on. Uh, we started working remotely and I feel I felt like at that point we were working more than, than we ever were. Uh, and then since then, it's cooled down, uh, I guess, across baseball America a little bit with, with nothing going on. For me specifically, uh, I've been fortunate to still have the draft to cover. And, and as you know, we always do 500 scouting reports that Definitely seems like a little bit of overkill this year, considering we're only going to have 160 or so players drafted, but we're still doing the BA 500, so I've been kind of spending a lot of time talking with scouts, fleshing out those reports, doing whatever kind of reporting I can for mock drafts. Uh, so it's been it's been busy for me, which has been good. I know for a lot of people, they wish they were a little bit more busy, um, so I'm definitely happy that that, that is the case. Um, but it's definitely been different, kind of getting used to this new normal that has really just, on and on and on and on hopefully we can get back to some uh pre-coronavirus pandemic life at some point but <laughs> who knows
1: yeah i was uh you know prepared to and right now i'm always prepared to talk about like tv and movie re- recommendations with people as, as i come on the podcast yeah. but i re- I, re- I did realize before we even started recording that you probably haven't like your life's been not much different. I mean, obviously, everybody's life's different, but in terms of work and like free time, I, I found that my, myself as well. Like, my, my day job's probably even been busier than normal. Mm-hmm. So I have a little bit more free time because there's no games to watch. Yeah. But even then, I don't have like these wide swaths of free time, which again is a good thing, I suppose. But uh, I felt like I was in the sort of in the minority here. And uh, it feels like you're probably even busier than normal because it's just that time of year for you.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah, it, it definitely sucks when you don't have free time. But at the same time, like flip the other side of the coin, and I, I would definitely rather be a little bit too busy than the other way. So, uh, I have been able to watch a few shows here and there, but you know, it's been it's been unique for sure.
1: <laughs> Mostly baseball. I mean, we can, we can transition because it's it's kind of interesting. We you know I as you well know, people listening to this know I am not an MLB draft expert by any means. It's not mm-hmm. my thing. I don't watch a lot of. College baseball. I watch zero high school baseball all these days, uh, etc. local et High
0: school games, Brad. Come on, man.
1: Listen, when <laughs> I was going to a, a powerhouse high school fifteen plus years ago, uh, it was I went to a lot of high school baseball games. But since then,
0: yeah, one of the best high school programs in the country. I think they've won our team of the year award like three or four times now. It's insane. Not
1: not not because of me, but I was there um, <laughs> the first time. that they really got really good. Was uh, I was there for it? So
0: yeah, there that's
1: awesome. But anyway, um. Yeah, so I guess the broad question that everyone's asking and I'll ask you, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but what's what's life going to be like in terms of the draft when it goes from the sort of the expansiveness like you mentioned doing a 500 player series to the new reality of 5 rounds? Like this, there's obviously a lot of different avenues we could talk about here, but mm-hmm. what's what's the fallout of that? Yeah. Like I guess first just from just the actual baseball side and then also like how does this impact what you do how's it impact what teams are doing because that's mm-hmm. that's something that always piques my interest in. like how are teams handling this stuff
0: yeah we can we can start with the team perspective first just because I mean it's they're they're all of them are kind of doing the same thing but basically all those guys MLB issued a memo very early on when this happened to prevent scouts from actually going out and scouting um, basically to prevent a scenario where teams would um want to basically risk the health of their scouts for a competitive advantage they would be able to get by gaining more information and just the general safety. So MLB issued a memo that prevented teams from doing any new scouting. So basically all they could do was go over the video they already had. Um, And so most teams have been using a a software called Synergy Video, which they can use to basically break down a lot of these college players. Most of the big college programs have Synergy and they can go to specific situations uh, for pitchers or for hitters and kind of. Really bear down on the video they have. There have been a lot of cross-checking reports being written based exclusively on video. Um, And in terms of right now, a few weeks ago, I believe, I don't know the exact date off the top of my head, but uh, teams could make contact with advisors and players. So area scouts have been doing a lot of the the legwork to figure out kind of signability. uh, And that's going to be key, obviously, in this year's draft, where you only have five rounds, and really you need to make those those picks count. So you're not going to want to take a guy that you're going to have any issues signing them. So it's been a lot of video work for teams, um, and the area scouts have been doing basically a lot of cross. I'm sure some teams are having scouts watch video of players in other areas that they normally wouldn't be responsible mm-hmm. for. I think that would be a good use of the their time since you can't get any new information or watch any new games um so basically teams at every level are basically pouring over the the information they always have at at a much greater level than previously just because there's no new information or new games to go see
1: that that makes sense and i mean to that end i guess i'll just ask this the way that it it comes in my brain how weird is it for evaluators yourself included and of course the teams to just have a lot less? game data on all of these players, because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, high schools didn't play at all, probably, I'd imagine yeah. this year, and then a lot of colleges either were just starting or didn't start, so like, mm-hmm. what's what's the fallout of basically scouting guys uh, a year later, because I mean, I, you know, not that teams were never watching these guys before their final season and se- seasons, seasons anyway, but you still mm-hmm. would have been relying on another f- more fresh uh, set of data that's just not there this time.
0: No doubt. It's, it's definitely a pro and a con from my perspective. For me, I've gotten scouts on the phone for quite a bit longer than I normally would have just because a lot of these guys don't have much going on. <laughs> yep. So so the information that they do have, it's been a lot easier for me to get my hands on that and kind of just go more in depth on the players. At the same time, especially right now, I'm kind of trying to finish out the reports in the 400 to 500 range. For those players, a lot of the scouts this year never got to work down their press list to see those players at all. Um, so there's just either no information or old information on a lot of these players like you said these teams were kind of evaluating these guys along long before this spring season uh, for the top high school players There's a summer showcase circuit that's uh, pretty big at this point a lot of big events that scouts can put eyes on for a lot of these college guys uh, they have history dating back to their high school days in some cases and then obviously their first few years in college summer ball so teams especially with a five-round draft especially with a five-round draft teams are more than uh more more than prepared to draft these guys with with some confidence but you do run into the issues where you have a four-week sample where a player looks significantly different uh, or a player is performing at a significantly higher or lower level than he previously has uh that's where you run into issues where uh, is it a small sample size sort of thing where he's just overperforming? Has he made a legitimate change? And the teams who are able to kind of separate the signal from the noise in those cases, I think, are the teams who are going to do really well. Um, and also the teams who really paid attention and bared down and kind of, I don't want to say the off-season because at any of these evaluation points, uh, you're getting valuable information. But there, there's definitely some sense that it's more serious in the spring. Um, the reports are definitely more thorough in the spring. So the teams who really did their homework Uh, on the histories of these guys and over the summer uh, those are going to be the teams I think that are going to benefit the most from this Um, I think every team is probably happy with their process and thinks they're doing it right but there's a real chance for some teams to to do some damage uh, depending on how the undrafted uh, free agent thing rolls out like if we have a lot of players that are signing for 20k uh, maybe some teams will be able to do some damage in, in a period that is I mean this is the most unique draft we've ever seen so it's going to yeah. be fun to see it play out, but that's kind of what we're dealing with right now.
1: Yeah, That, that makes sense. I was going to ask you since you just brought it up. I mean, I, I feel like it's really, really interesting to me just from a process perspective to think about what's going to happen to the guys who are not drafted. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like a typical sixth round pick is now just going to be available to sign uh, for 20 K if they want to like, what yeah. have you heard or what have you observed about like is it going to just be a free for all when this thing is over like <laughs> I, I think it i think it almost always is anyway but it's more of a free for all mm-hmm. with guys that are you know obviously a lot further down the list whereas this time around mm-hmm. it's legitimate prospects that you're talking about top 200 guys who are going to be available mm-hmm. at the end
0: no doubt and and normally you're when it's undrafted free agent time i mean you look at you look at your class and you already have 30 players signed so a lot of cases yep. Teams aren't even going to have space to put some of these guys who maybe they do like a lot of guys that are still on the board. But in a five-round draft, uh, there are significantly uh, better players available, obviously. that This is one of the first questions I asked a few scouts when this, this rule came out. Because when every team is dealing with the exact same amount of money, uh, how do you kind of separate yourself from other clubs? Um, is there a situation where some kind of shady... <laughs> dealings start to happen with, with teams making promises that they probably shouldn't have. Obviously, MLB has put some strict strict bonus circumvention rules in place, but it's not the like... The Braves would never they, be involved in anything like that, Carlos. <laughs> what I was about to say, it's not like we're in a sport where teams have, have never cheated. So that stuff definitely came to mind for a lot of scouts who are going to have to be dealing with this. I think it'll be interesting to see um, how teams go about selling themselves. I think a, a few of the obvious ones would be player development, track record, how well they've done, uh, just in general, and then uh, more specifically with the specific demographic or position group that you're trying to target. Um, I mean, guys who are fans of a certain team or have a team nearby, does that affect where they want to sign if they're willing to sign for 20K? But like you mentioned earlier, I mean, some of these guys in the six to 10 round range who are juniors uh, specifically, they're always seniors who sign for pennies. Uh, but the juniors are guys who were looking at 100K to 350K in that range those players i'm sure some of them will just want to kind of get out of the college system and and start their pro career for whatever amount of money but for a lot of those guys uh, they're going to be forced back to college so i think another really interesting piece of this and if you don't watch college baseball maybe this isn't as important to you um, but we're going to have so much talent at the college game next year just Mm. because so many of these juniors are going to be pushed back there are going to be some seniors who have another year of eligibility who might decide they want to go back whether they're playing for conference championships or or other team goals that they really want to be part of Uh, and a lot of high school players that second or third tier of high school players who again maybe would have signed in this top five round range that teams aren't going to want to pursue because of questions about their signability those guys are going to get pushed to college uh the juco ranks are going to be more talented than they've been uh the college game as a whole from just a talent perspective, is going to be awesome for, for fans. But for coaches, it's a little bit more of a headache to kind of figure out rosters and scholarships and, and all that stuff. So there are a lot of wrinkles to this.
1: For sure. And I mean, I was going to ask you about the college stuff because, you know, not I'm not sure this is going to be widespread. But there there are some some smaller programs that are like, you know, effectively shutting down baseball that I've mm-hmm. seen in the last couple of days. Like that's going to be interesting to fall out. I brought up, I think, with Eric or maybe the other way around about the JUCO thing. Because that was interesting to me because I feel like Mm -hmm. high school is even harder. Because, you know, the teams have been seeing these guys since before their senior year of high school, for sure. But there's a lot more uncertainty, I feel like, in high school ranks. And guys that may not want to go to college and may want to get back in the draft next year, that Mm -hmm. JUCO route is going to be juicy, I feel like. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I think think you pretty much nailed it. I think the JUCO route is... Even before this happened, I think it's, it's an option that I wish more kids would pursue. Obviously, junior college isn't as glamorous as those four-year universities that you kind of grow up rooting for and, and hearing about and watching on TV. But that route just offers you so much flexibility. Uh, there are so many fewer questions about the amount of playing time you're going to get. You're going to get on the field and you're going to play. Uh, and the best way to get better, obviously, is by playing. So for a lot of these kids whether it's because they just uh, have concerns about playing time, whether it's they want to get back in the draft, draft process as soon as they can. I mean, that's a great route. You can go to junior college. Uh, you can go for a year, go back in the draft. You can go for a year and transfer to another school. You can go for two years. Your eligibility is open after each year. Uh, and it doesn't it doesn't mean you're not going to a four-year school. There are plenty of guys who have gone to junior college for a year or two uh, and then committed to a bigger program. A lot of guys have really elevated their their stock uh, and and got to schools where they never would have thought about going to out of high school. So I think it's a really good route th- that a lot of kids could benefit from. There are a few programs in the country, probably more than a few, that have done a really good job developing players. Um, so I definitely think that that's an avenue people should be looking into more. And, and we're going to see that uh, kind of play itself out.
1: Yeah, that that decision making process. I try to flip for myself in the in the kids shoes especially the high school kids like mm. what you're going to do like you want to sign for 20k as a high school kid who might have been a six-round pick or yeah. do you want to go maybe kick a kick the can down the road for a year go to juco and if mm. you play well you maybe you'll be a top you know three-round pick next year i don't know it's yeah uh, that's
0: and the, the other the other factor too is if you think the the minor league contraction is happening which all the signs are pointing in that seems direction. seems like it is. <laughs> that's a much tougher, we'll, we'll have to see how teams kind of figure it out, but that's a much tougher environment for you to start your pro career if all these lower-level leagues are just disappearing, all the fluff is being pushed out of the minor league system. Um, you're really going to want to be a polished player at that point. I imagine uh, the, draft, the draft has increasingly been more and more college-heavy. I think we're going to see the most college-heavy draft we've ever seen this year for all the things we've talked about. I mean, just the data set that... Analytics groups can look over, and you just have much more confidence in, in the college guys, uh, just because of that track record they've been able to establish. Uh, so, it, yeah, it's it's getting more college heavy. There are less and less spots for these high school guys in this year's draft, and if you're looking long term, there are some definitely some minor league questions as well to kind of throw into all of this.
1: When you say more college heavy, I think that's a, an assumption that I made. I listened to Eric. That's the first thing Eric told me. Actually, I think maybe mm-hmm. on the podcast was like, doesn't make sense. You know, for this to be more college heavy, that, that that that's definitely intuitive. But when you say that, how how college heavy? I know I'm not going to ask you to give me a percentage or anything, but mm-hmm. is it going to be like a significantly different sort of player pool? I know it's it's hard with only five rounds to talk about this, but is it going to just yeah. be super heavy college guys, or will there still be some prominent high school guys? I mean, there's obviously going to be some, but what's that mm-hmm. split going to look like?
0: Yeah, I think I, off the top of my head, I think around close to like 80 percent of all the players who are drafted and sign. Like, in the last century, it's, it's been inching closer to 80%. I would have to look. We've done some reporting on this previously and done a couple of stories about just draft trends. I'd have to pull those up to get the specific numbers. But that's kind of what it's been overall. Um, like you said, there are definitely going to be some high school guys in the first round this year, those top-tier guys that have been seen a lot over the summer and even some who, who got to play early this spring. I think those kids will be fine uh, just because they've proven themselves at kind of the highest stage at the high school level and the talent at some point is just too good to pass up. Um, But in our latest mock, I think of the first 12 picks, we only had one high school player. Mm. Uh, That would be the most college heavy top 12 ever. Uh, And I definitely think that's going to be a trend that continues just comparing this, these top five rounds to any other top five rounds for any draft, just because, when you look at the, the track record things I've mentioned, uh, just the ability to see these guys. I mean, there there's a guy we have named Abel, two prep right-handers, Abel and Nick Bitsko. These are two guys who we see as first-round talents. They didn't throw a pitch this year. Um, <laughs> and when you're talking about a team having to give out multi a multi-million dollar bonus to a player who is already in one of the more risky demographics for the draft, but you haven't seen him throw a pitch in a game since late last summer uh there's a reason that teams are going to be a little bit iffy about that so i do think that in terms of how a lot of teams are going to operate in terms of draft strategy there's just a lot of safety in college players in general um this class is pretty college heavy at the top uh and there's also an incredible depth of college pitching this is one of the deepest college pitching classes we've ever seen so i think the coronavirus is going to make it a little bit more – not a little bit, a lot more college-heavy. And the draft class, kind of as it was before, if we were in a normal year, I think was, was pretty heavy on the college side as well. So both those factors are going to make this – I'm curious to see what the numbers are at the end. I, I don't have a great answer for you there, but I, I would guess that it will be the most college-heavy we've ever seen.
1: And that Yeah, that makes so much sense to me uh, in my brain. Um mm. Last last sort of broad question before I uh, get you to talk about some players that I don't that I don't know anything about. <laughs> um, what do you is the is the new kind of bonus structure going to influence anything like the like the like the deferred nature of this uh, and how it's like you know I'm not I'm not smart enough to know all of the fallout when it comes mm-hmm. to what teams' draft pools are going to be like, but how does the financial even beyond the obviously the just far less rounds, but beyond mm. that, like how how is the pool structure going to impact things, if at all?
0: Yeah, I think it could affect some things. I think one thing for sure is teams are going to have a lot less flexibility to play some of the games that you've seen them play previously where they try and get an underslot guy uh, and then push a talented player down to a further pick with the savings. I don't think you're going to see teams doing that as aggressively this year just because in previous years, if you don't have one of your guys sign – uh, in the top rounds, you can kind of push that money and get a guy in the 11 to 15 round range that you kind of has a, have as a backup In this new system, you can't use any of your savings from your bonus pool on the undrafted guys. So if you miss on one of your picks at the end of the day, you're just going to be standing there with more money in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're a scouting department, you want to get as much talent as you can. So I think some of those signing bonus games will probably go away. I think it would probably be a little bit more straight up not that's not to say that teams aren't going to look for underslot deals in the first round where they see the talent as equal I think that that's definitely going to be something that continues to happen um, just because that money maybe team C is even more valuable but it's not going to be to try and like push guys down their board I think that gets a little bit too risky when you only have five picks in some cases and for other teams like the Yankees and the Astros have two or three picks in the first five rounds so uh, that makes it a little bit more challenging just to play some of those financial games. I think another thing, too, is you might see players who would have been willing to sign previously just say, no, they're not going to. I mean, the deferment, it doesn't seem like a big deal from the outside looking in just because that money, you're still getting it. But when all but 100 k of your bonus is deferred, uh, the advisors I speak to see that as a real concession that was given up for these amateur players who really had no voice in this decision that was made so i think you could see a number of players maybe that's draft eligible players who were already in a good position in terms of leverage before uh that just priced themselves out because it's not a great year to come out if you're an amateur player um so i think there's going to be a lot of guys who are just going to make it back to school that otherwise would have would have been drafted and signed uh but those are probably the first couple things that come to mind uh another thing is i think in the fifth round sorry no go ahead uh, in the fifth round, what's to stop a team from seriously underselling a guy? Because if you're if you're picked in this fifth round, it's either you sign here for whatever the team offers you, you don't sign, and then the max you can get is 20k, or you go back into the process and try it again next year. Uh, there are going to be a lot of teams who are offering significantly less than fifth round slot, and maybe that even happens in the fourth round too. Uh, it's not a great draft. It's never a great year to to be drafted from the player's perspective, just because of Kind of how this system is designed to just cap how much they make, but especially so this year.
1: I lied about that being my, about that being my last question because I, I thought of something <laughs> while you were talking. I'll go for it. Cause you re- you referenced um, sort of the advisors that you're speaking to, and I should have had this on my list already. But you know, I've made the point, and not not an original one by me, but mm-hmm. it's worth pointing out again that every time you know, and and. And that's not just baseball, but especially in baseball, I think every time you get like a CBA level negotiation, um, amateur guys get the short end of the stick very, Absolutely. very often. It happens in the NBA, happens in the NFL. Um, it's especially seems to be the case here. Um, are people like how are people in the in the league and how are people that you talk to sort of handling that? Because I, I feel like if you're a scouting based person,
0: mm-hmm. you're
1: probably not very happy with this, but it's not there's nothing you can do about it, obviously. And, mm-hmm. and of course, the players are getting uh, screwed to put it to put it candidly so mm-hmm. what is the reaction inside the game about like you know obviously i think everyone kind of knows that there was a massive concession given away but you know it's just kind of what's the fallout of that
0: yeah it's, it's honestly from everyone i talk to they kind of agree that it is terrible um depending on which kind of area you're talking with the the disgust will be greater or lesser depending on the guys you're talking <laughs> to the advisors are obviously more more pissed about this than some other people but i mean all the scouts i talked to as well Almost all of those guys just want longer drafts in general because they've been they've been bearing down on these guys and they like players and they want to put them into the system and see them turn into to good players for their, their major league teams. Um, so they always want more drafts. They want to be able to sign a guy in the draft and with the more rounds you're going to be able to sign or have a greater chance of getting a guy that you like. All that makes sense. Um, everyone knows the players are getting screwed. That's not a secret. Everyone knows in general that they're getting screwed in the draft just – outside of this unique situation we're in. Um, but I do think that maybe the one argument that I would give a little credence to is that by, by spending less on players, maybe teams are able to hold on to their employees or not force their employees, their coaches, their scouts to take pay cuts. Um, there's been different reporting uh, the past few months about teams kind of extending this window of them committing uh, money to their employees to just keep them working. so if if there was one argument that I was gonna buy, it would be that one because uh, just the same as as players are getting screwed over in this situation, I think there might come a time where a lot of scouts and coaches and just employees for teams might wind up getting screwed over just because owners are getting less revenue and they don't want to pay costs. So if you can save uh, a scouting department their jobs for the year by having a shorter draft, I mean, uh, it's not a great situation in any means, but uh, I would rather uh, scouts keep their jobs, I guess, than we draft forty play forty rounds of, of players. Um, but it's just a bad situation all around.
1: Yeah, it obviously shouldn't be one one versus one there, but everyone knows yeah. that, and I, you know, it's just the reality. It's not good for anyone, but it it is something that just happens in in sports across the board, whatever there's a negotiation, um, the players' association does not represent the amateurs and they're just going to give that away if they can to try to help themselves. It's, Uh, it's really
0: annoying too, because it's just so, it's so short sighted. I mean, those are the guys who you're going to be representing in, in 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, well, yeah, you're not officially representing them now. You should probably look out for, the group of players that's going to be the, the face of your game in a few years. So I wish I feel they like,
1: would. I feel like this one is so severe too. Like I mean, yeah. it's, when the when the when, when the reporting first came out, and I'm sure you've heard things even before this. But first thing I saw was going from 40 rounds to 10 rounds, and that got mm-hmm. a lot of uh, negative reaction. And then mm-hmm. it ended up at five. So yeah. it was already controversial at 10, and then it was oh by the way, here's half of that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it was even almost like a double squeeze. To the point where everyone knows that how bad this is, but it's worth just repeating: you you cut your draft by you know eighty what you know seven eighths of a draft just disappeared. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, as soon as they said the minimum was was going to be five rounds, we probably in hindsight should have just assumed it was going to be that five <laughs> rounds. But yeah, you know.
1: It's wild to me anyway.
0: No doubt.
1: Uh, I'm just thinking out loud. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's transition. Uh, I want to ask you about some players. I-, I will be candid as I always am. I don't know anything about these guys. Um, I do want to ask you, before we get to Brave stuff, wh- who were sort of like the best guys? I could tell you the w- the one guy that I've kind of heard of. Is yeah, who Torkelson. do you know,
0: Brad? I'm curious. Uh, oh, Tor- Torkelson.
1: Yeah. Just because he, I feel like in the brief mock draft settings that I've seen the last couple of months, he's usually mm-hmm. near or at the top. Mm-hmm. So I recognize that name. Um, but beyond that, I, I have very little here. And honestly, we were talking about this before we started recording. I think the biggest reason, not that I'm ever an expert on this stuff, but mm-hmm. the entire time the podcast has existed from the time that you and I founded it together, um, the Braves have had a top nine pick in four straight seasons. Um because of the car the car stewart fallout and the last time the braves didn't have a top 14 pick was 2014 uh we opened the podcast in february 2016 so basically the entire time of this podcast the braves had a high high draft pick and it's just a lot easier to care about the top of the draft (laughs) when the braves have a pick and i have to know about the top of the draft and this year the braves don't pick up until 25th so i I have a lot less reason to care yeah um, just to be honest with you but um People do care though, obviously. So it's a go. real
0: credit to you that you've continued to uh, have me on to talk about the draft. When, like you said, you shouldn't have to care without them having a top ten pick. So, so kudos to you for that, Brad.
1: I, I, I'm just saying I shouldn't have to care about the top of the draft because obviously, like <laughs> yeah, for instance, system. I
0: don't think he's sliding to twenty five. That's so. what I mean. Like we'll for, from, a Braves,
1: per, <laughs> from a Braves from a perspective, <laughs> there there are got to be at least ten guys that I could just cross off. Like right now, no chance that they're getting to twenty five. So it should be pretty easy. On that front, but anyway, I wanted to go through that sort of exercise to just yeah. realize that we've been spoiled on the draft front just because the Braves, even last year when they weren't quote unquote supposed to have a top 10 pick, they still had one because of Carter Stewart and mm-hmm. the fallout of that. So now it's like reality setting in the Braves are good again, and now they have a low pick.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it is, uh, it is interesting. It, it is funny for you to kind of remind me of that the Braves were bad for a long time They were. Uh, it It's good for the draft but yeah I guess w- when you're picking low I mean every club wants to be picking low in the draft because if you're picking low you're doing something right at the major league level so it's a good problem to have for sure but definitely less interesting from a casual standpoint uh, if you're not a super in-depth draft nerd
1: and Matt, Matt Powers you talking chops gonna be yelling at me for not caring but uh, Matt you will have <laughs> your you will have your ability to talk and write I know he already is doing stuff Mm-hmm. on the draft as we get going here okay uh but before we get to the, the brave stuff uh who are who i mean i'm not gonna ask you to give your entire uh big board away right now because it's behind paywall as it should be mm-hmm. but um who 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 are, who are a guy or a guy or two that you that you really like at the very top of this uh this draft
0: yeah yeah i'll give you our, our top three just in conversations we've had with scouts over the past few months there's Seems to be a clear top three that's emerged. It was a top five earlier in the season. But Spencer Torkelson, like you said, is our our number one prospect right now. He's the best hitter uh, and and power bat in the class. I mean, he's a guy who shattered Barry Bonds' freshman home run record at Arizona State. Uh, He hit 23 and 25 home runs his first two years and was going to be one of the best power hitting I mean, he still is, but he would have set a number of records with a third year, um, which would have been really impressive. But he's a guy who has a chance to be a plus hitter with real top-of-the-scale power. I mean, the last guy who's come through with power production this prolific is probably Chris Bryant. Um, Chris Bryant is obviously a very good player. Torkelson is going to be a first baseman, uh, more than likely. Uh, and then he, he's our top guy Just because the impact of that bat is, is too impressive and, and most teams. Uh, seem to see him as the top guy. I think the other guy that a few teams would tell you is their number one player and the guy who I personally like a little bit more, uh, Austin Martin, the outfielder at Vanderbilt. He's a guy who has much more defensive versatility than Torkelson, a chance to play center field, a chance for third base or shortstop. He was a guy who, entering the year, Scouts wanted to see play shortstop. He didn't do that. Um, might wind up being a second baseman. So there's a little bit of unknown about where his his future home is going to be, but there's a chance for up the middle premium defense there. He's a good runner, and he's probably the best pure hitter in the class. He's a guy who's hit over 400 in the SEC, has the best batting eye in the entire class for my money. Good bat speed, not as much thump, obviously, but just an all-around good player. There are some comparisons to Dansby Swanson just -hmm. because he is a Vanderbilt product. I don't think you should put too much stock into those just because— Dansby did kind of prove himself at shortstop. I think they're different hitters. But just something, though, he's probably going to be the highest drafted Vanderbilt player since Dansby um, with an outside shot to go one. Uh, And then the last one is Asa Lacy. He's the Texas A&M left-handed pitcher. He's kind of, over the first four weeks, he kind of established himself as the top arm in the draft. Uh, He's a guy who really has no holes in his game. Some people will tell you he's the best college left-hander to come through in the last four or five years. Uh, Lefties are obviously a commodity in baseball as a whole, and that's especially true in the draft. got a plus fastball, plus curveball, plus slider, probably a plus changeup as well. Uh, the, the questions with him kind of coming into the year were just a matter of pitch efficiency. Uh, where was his control going to be at the next level? I think he's a guy who just ran his pitch count up because he missed so many bats. No one could really put the ball in play. Um, so I really like him as a pitching prospect, kind of that complete package. Don't really have any huge question marks with him. Uh, and he's also got that really competitive, uh, bulldog-like demeanor on the mound that scouts love. So those are the top three for us, and I think um, in some order they should be going one, two, three when we get to the draft in June.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'll be guilty of this, but you know, June 10th feels like it's a long way a long way away, and it's 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 not a long way mm-hmm. away. Is it is it, is it like, what, what, like four weeks from today or four weeks from yep. tomorrow?
0: Four weeks. That sounds about right. Three or four weeks.
1: Yeah, we're, we're getting there. Um. So yeah, th- there's there's the guys at the top that you'll be hearing more about. I, I will be interested to see, by the way, as a sidebar, if this is like the number one television uh, MLB draft of all time, just just out of lack of options, uh, especially when oh, it yeah. starts before that. That was
0: the NFL draft, right?
1: Like yeah, I mean the NFL draft it. is always a huge property, and obviously the MLB draft is not that kind of property. But it's mm-hmm. gotten a little bit more um, exposure the last few years. I feel like it's got a, kind of grown in the television product. And mm-hmm. this time around, without live baseball to compete against it, that's, that's, that's always my thing. Is that there's like games happening <laughs> during the draft, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's,
0: In general, and kind of everyone's, everyone's looking for more sports in any capacity. I know there are a lot of people that I talked with that don't care at all about the NFL draft that watch it because they wanted some sports. So if we get more eyes, just because someone wants to watch something having anything to do with sports, then uh, I think that's great because we need we need more eyes than the MLB draft. Obviously, from my perspective,
1: I watched a little bit last time because you were on it, and I really appreciated (laughs) you being on it. Um, I was rooting for you. Are you Are you making a return appearance? I shouldn't ask you out yes, in public, but I be will. There. I will be. Yeah, I will
0: be all, So, so you guys want to tune in just to watch me to like Brad does? And to I was gonna me. say
1: even more, even more reason to uh, <laughs> to watch the broadcast. Uh, Talking Chop alum. Anyway, um, okay, I have to ask you about the brave stuff now, and it's Let's it's really it. h- it's really hard in some respects, because you know you don't know who's going to be available at 25. It's a lot easier, like going back to what we were talking about before, to project who might be available when mm-hmm. they pick higher. But now at 25, you have a pretty good idea, I'm sure. I have no idea.
0: No, no, don't give me that much credit. I think we can get into it, but I just think at the forefront here, the teams are having a much harder time figuring out what's going in front of them, even in, even in the teens this year, just because I think one of the biggest things for, for mock drafts and finding out what teams are doing is just seeing other scouts and decision makers at these kind of priority prospect games. Like there's so much uh, scouting the scouts that goes into this uh, that every team that I've talked to this year is more uncertain than they've ever been about kind of how this is going to shake out. Um, so I think from the media perspective, fan perspective and from a team perspective, the, the just sense of unknown is, is much more so this year than, than I've ever experienced for sure.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense given the lack of data and the lack of you know meetings where you you have teams in the same spaces and there's mm-hmm. just not people talking in the same way. I'm sure. I mean, they yeah. might be talking to you on the phone, but they're not mm-hmm. like getting together and having their meetings in, in, the, in the same way they would be. Exactly. All of that kind of makes sense. It's going to happen in the NBA too. I mean, I covered the NBA draft a ton, and I can yeah. already tell you. I know, you know part of the part of the uncertainty is not knowing what the draft's going to be, but yep. beyond that, it's still going to be. I feel like a lot more uncertain just because of the lack of there won't be a combine where everyone comes together and talks for three days about what's going to happen. All that stuff. Um, Is there, this is kind of probably a fraught question. Is there a position group that you'd be looking at for the Braves or is it just like standard best player available stuff?
0: I would think best player available. It's a little trickier with the Braves. Previously they've had some profiles that really jumped out as kind of a Braves draft prospect that no longer applies with the new scouting director and a little bit of a department shakeup there uh last year their pick seemed like they were going much more of like model friendly players so i would just generally think either college players with some performance um or high school players who maybe uh again have some performance in these these uh bigger summer showcase circuit um areas but i think in general just as far as how the board is looking there's going to be a lot of college arms to be picked in this range i also think there's some i I think it'd be interesting to see in this like kind of back half of the first round range if teams reach for a bat that they like just because there are plenty of arms to find later on in the draft so the the short answer is probably no there's no one area that i think the braves are going to be targeting i think it just kind of depends on what happens in front of them um but i am curious to see who the braves wind up taking to see if it kind of adds more to their new model or new way of drafting. If there's any, there are some teams like the Rays who can look back at their picks and there's really no obvious trend or obvious player type they're going after. And there are some other teams like the Padres and the Indians who very clearly are targeting high upside high school players, seemingly every year at the top of the draft. So getting another year of seeing what the Braves do will be fascinating. I, I don't think there's like a clear, target they have at this point. At least I, I don't know of it.
1: That that sounds right. I, and, you know, the other thing about this for the Braves, and if I'm reading this right, I think I am, they only have one pick in the top 96. Um, they they pick 25, and then they don't, they, don't, they don't pick against on 97, which is... And they only have four, pick, they only have four picks total. So, yep, that's it'll right. be interesting. They have
0: a first-round pick, they've got a third-round pick, and I think in terms of bonus pool, they're ahead of only the Yankees and the Astros, who, like I said, have two or three picks. So, they signed, I think it was um, Marcel Zuna and then Will Smith. Yep. Um, so they lost one pick and then they didn't get the compensation pick that they would have gotten for Josh Donaldson signing. So that's why they don't have that second round pick. And obviously this year that's going to affect them more so than than other years just because they don't have the six through 40 rounds to kind of make up for it by scouting and drafting well. So
1: Yeah, a little yeah, bit lighter be, on the be draft side.
0: Yeah. So I think I was talking to some evaluators about how teams are going to go about, um, just drafting this year strategy stuff. And I think the more common strategy would just be going towards more safe players, players that you have a little bit more conviction in, um, in terms of what their floor is going to be. I mean, the exact opposite approach is also viable in that you only have five players. You always want to try and get some impact. So if you really want to swing for the fences, um, if you look back on a draft and get one all-star caliber player, that's probably more impressive than getting three or four guys who are replacement level or part-time guys. So I think both those are viable strategies. It'll be interesting to see what the industry ends up doing.
1: Yeah, uh, that sounds plausible to me. Um I have no idea how to ask about players in this range. Um, <laughs> I, I, I looked at mock drafts. There was very little consensus here, yeah. and it's still you know mock drafts are tough this time, especially when you get down this low. Um, but I thought it was kind of funny. I saw a you know three or four college pitchers tied to the Braves. I saw two mm-hmm. uh, high school pitchers. I saw a college shortstop, which I think might have been you <laughs> yeah, projecting you? that. So I don't we- know. Yeah, we did have uh, – I'm, I'm glad
0: there have been a lot of different players because that backs up my theory that no one really knows at this point what's happening in that range. Um, I Honestly, I think if people are very convinced in what they know in this range, I, I think they're kind of overselling what they know because I talked to a lot of these teams and, and they just don't know at this point. So, yeah. Uh, but we can talk about a couple of these guys. I think Nick Lofton is the guy that we had mocked to the Braves in our most recent one. Uh, there's some similarities to Braden shoemaker here just in terms of – Kind of college shortstop who's not super toolsy has a really good track record of performance uh, I think Lofton is probably a superior defender at shortstop at least a better chance to stick there long term uh, Shoemaker is probably the better pure hitter what's interesting with Lofton here is that he tapped into some power in the first four weeks of the season uh, and if he is starting to develop more power um, then you're looking at a guy who's a little bit more interesting he's kind of that guy who's Solid average at everything. Scouts really praise kind of how he goes about the game, his mentality, baseball IQ on the field. Just a guy that you can't really point to a a specific flaw in his game, but is also not going to blow you away with his tool set either. So I think that is the type of player who uh, is going to get pushed up in this year's draft. Just those guys that you feel good about kind of all around. You can look at their numbers in college uh, in a big conference and feel good about that. Um, But there's nothing specific – that's tying him to the Braves in this range. It's more of Lofton is continuously talked about in this kind of back third of the first round range lately. Uh, There's some other college pitchers been getting into. If you have any in mind,
1: yeah, I, um, I'm trying to see what my notes who the guys. And again, this is just off the mocks that I have no, I have no clue. Um, is it Carmen Lodzinski? Oh yeah.
0: I'm, I was really curious to see you pronounce that name because it doesn't make any sense at all how it's it. M- M-L-O-D
1: is a, diff, is yeah. a tough, a tough re- one
0: for me. You're ready for this? It's Carmen Majinski. You're kidding me. <laughs> no. <laughs> I ran that by multiple people just to make sure. Yeah, Carmen Majinski. He uh, was that, the guy that,
1: I saw in, in multiple – he was the only guy I think I saw in multiple yeah. mock drafts. So that's why I'm asking about him first.
0: Yeah. He was a guy who entered the year. I think we had him either at 10 or right outside of the top 10 on our board. Uh, over the summer, he was the best pitcher in the Cape Cod League. He showed really impressive stuff, plus fastball, plus breaking ball. Uh, he's a guy who had—he has a little bit shorter of a college track record than some of these other guys. He dealt with a, a foot injury that really limited him. Uh, so he's a redshirt sophomore this year uh, and a guy who kind of underwhelmed, I would say, in the first four weeks, which is why we have him ranked number 25 right now. He didn't have the same kind of blow-you-away swing-and-miss stuff that he showed over the summer. But at the same time, it's a heavy fastball, uh, a solid average or above average pitch now with a chance to be plus. It was plus in the summer. uh, So he could get back to that. He's shown two good breaking balls in the past. Um, I think he is similar to Tanner Burns. I don't know if Burns is a guy who you've seen mocked to the Braves at all, but we have them on my list. Yeah. We have them side by side. And I think they are good profiles to point to as like a high floor. Maybe not the highest upside, but most of the scouts that I've talked with think that Majinski and Burns are both uh, high-probability major leaguers in some capacity. Um, With Carmen, I do think there's a chance for a little bit more upside than Burns just because of what he's shown previously. Uh, He's got a very physical frame. Uh, If he is able to avoid those random injuries like he had to his foot, I think he's got a chance to log uh, plenty of innings, or at least as many innings as teams let their starters go these days. Uh, So he's a fascinating one just because— if you're really buying into what he did last summer, you could look at maybe like a top four or five arm in this class that you're getting great value on. Uh, at the same time, excuse me. At the same time, I think there's plenty of safety with his profile. He's a good, good strike thrower.
1: Yeah, that make, that makes sense. Um, the one high school pitcher I saw is is it is it Justin Lang or Lange? I have no idea. Lang, I assume. Um, yeah,
0: it's Justin Lang. Um, I believe that's how his last name is pronounced. I don't know specifically with. But-
1: with Majinski, I had to ask about it, but <laughs> Majinski is I can't, I can't I can't get over that. Still, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> I can't I can't I can't kind of do the math on that one in my head. But anyway, um, yeah, Justin Lang was the other guy, and I think the only mm-hmm. high school pitcher I saw is I mean, my alarm goes off whenever I see high school pitcher, especially right <laughs> now with all the weirdness yeah. going on. But what what do you make of him?
0: No doubt, he's he's fascinating. I think ten years ago, Lang would be a no doubt like first round type prep pitcher. We we have him quite a bit lower down on the board. Um, just because he's very raw. Uh, He's a guy who has taken huge strides with his fastball velocity. He was up to 95 last summer. He's been up to 100 this spring. Uh, He's tremendously athletic, um, but his strike throwing and basically just how refined he is as a pitcher is incredibly raw right now. So I think that is a guy who I would love to see in the Brave system just because they've shown a good ability to make a lot of the pitchers they have. He's 6'4", 190. Um, but the strike throwing, I mean, some scouts have put bottom of the scale strike throwing on this guy right now, just because I don't think he's had a ton of like high level, uh, pitching coaching at this point. Um, it's kind of like a ball of clay is what you're dealing with. This kid has plenty of tools, but he just kind of needs to get into a pro system and figure out a routine, um, and and kind of just take those steps down the line. So he's exceptionally talented. Uh, I think he, his pure stuff stacks up with some of the best, pitchers in the class but there's huge risk here I think so I, his name has been mentioned a little bit in the first round I wouldn't be as convinced that he does go in the first just because all the question marks that you get in that profile in uh, high school pitching in general but uh, the, the arm is legit the arm talent is, is very real
1: OK, before I let you get out of here, um, I'm going to ask you an exceptionally unfair question, cause <laughs> especially after what you all, all the stuff you said about how, unser- how much uncertainty there is out there. Um, and this doesn't this may not even make sense. But uh, who is the highest rated player in your mind that you think could conceivably be, be available at 25?
0: OK, this is a good one. All right. I'm going to go with the pitcher. I gotta go with a high school pitcher. Well, maybe not even high school pitcher. So here's the thing, I'm thinking through a couple of high school right-handers that I think that's that's a demographic that usually slides to that range uh, and could especially slide to that range this year just because all the other stuff we've talked about. There are also a number of high school outfielders that just because there are so many clustered together, I wouldn't be shocked if one slid down. Uh, so the first guy I'll give you is Nick Bitsko. He's a right-handed pitcher out of Pennsylvania. He's a guy who was originally a member of the 2021 class. So scouts, uh, many scouts probably weren't bearing down on him as much as these other, as much as some of these other arms around him, because they thought they were going to have another year with him. But he's a guy who, six foot four frame, 220 pounds, plus fastball, plus curveball, chance to be like a number two type probably, his future ceiling. Um, but again, didn't pitch at all this spring. So I think that's a guy who could slide because of those question marks, but has plenty of talent that stacks up with the top uh, prep pitchers in this class. Uh, another guy, I guess I'll point to just kind of pulling names out of a hat here. Robert, no, Robert Hassel is not making it there. Pico Armstrong <laughs> might, uh, Robert Hassel, I think is the best pure hitter in the class, which is why I would be wow. surprised if he slid there. Um, but we have him ranked 16 best prep hitter. I would say if I, if I didn't clarify that. Um, but Pico Armstrong is a guy who last year he entered, um, our rankings as the number one prep position play actually number one prep period in the class didn't have a great summer uh he's a southern california kid who is the best defensive center fielder that i've seen at that level um he has a chance to be an above average or plus hitter as well uh fast guy not going to have a ton of impact um i have heard a lot of top 15 chatter with him um, but I guess I wouldn't be shocked if he slid just because of what he did last summer. And that would be an excellent value if the Braves were able to nab him. So I guess there are just a few names I would throw out there. Just kind of spitballing.
1: If you want to dream big, Braves fans, there you go. A couple of names <laughs> if you want to get into that. And uh, if, if they're not available, blame Carlos because he obviously has.
0: Uh, yeah, You can just come attack me on Twitter, I guess
1: the crystal ball of what's going to happen here (laughs) in the most, in the most uncertain draft of all time. Uh, I'm sure you'll still get people yelling at you if you miss things on your mock drafts, Mm -hmm. but it's still funny to me. Uh, (laughs) Good good luck. Good luck with that. Um, Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, thank you for doing this, man. I mean, it's, it's been too long. I try not to bug you too much, but I figure this is your, this this is your specialty. It's early enough where you probably shouldn't have to do one of these every single day. Like I'm sure you will (laughs) from like June 1st to to 9th. I was not going to, I was not going to try to call you, but on May 18th, it's probably worth it.
0: Yeah, no, happy to come on. I love, love coming on and talking about whatever. So, uh, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it's, it's fun. We're getting close and, uh, It's always more fun when you can kind of look back and see where these guys actually go. And it's always more fun when you can not miss any players on the first day uh, in your ranking. So hopefully we get that as well. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be weird. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, it's going to be weird for everybody. And I I, I don't envy you in that that particular realm, uh, nor (laughs) anybody that does what you do, just because – of all the stuff that we said for the first half hour of this podcast about how much uncertainty there is, but, uh, you're going to try anyway. And, uh, yeah, watch, watch Carlos on the NFL, on the MLB draft. Can you imagine that you used to host this podcast and now you're going to be on the MLB draft again twice in a row?
0: You know, the podcast is, is always going to be near and dear to my heart. You know, I'm, I'm so glad fun. that you have taken, <laughs> oh, it is true. It is true. I still listen. So don't, don't talk junk about me. Uh, cause I'll pop in here and there not as much as I used to, but I still like to listen to you guys uh, chatting it up, and I'm definitely glad that you're still kind of running the show over here. So I appreciate you, Brad.
1: We're grinding away. Thank you, sir, for joining me. Uh, as for everybody else, please subscribe. Please check out Carlos. Please check out Baseball America. I'm sure there are lots of things that you could be paying to read for Carl- from Carlos. That would, or, for, or I'm sure you have free content, too. I know you do That's some point. We do. We do. So, Just uh, most
0: of my stuff isn't.
1: <laughs> pay to subscribe to Carlos. Pay. Get in your wallet right now. <laughs> subscribe. Baseball America. Uh, But yeah, anyway, thanks for joining me, man, and we'll see everybody next time.